Welcome back to Canna Week, brought to you by New Frontier Data, where we deliver the week's top headlines in cannabis and hear experts weigh in on the impact these stories are having on the industry. I'm your host, Heather Wickline. Uh, before we get started, if you are enjoying this podcast, please be sure to subscribe, like, leave us a five-star review, and share this episode. We appreciate all the continued support. Um, all right, today's episode, we're going to be diving into the world of Canna tourism and discuss some new opportunities for the uh, toking tourists. And we are absolutely thrilled to welcome our guest today. He is a leader in the advancement of cannabis-related travel and tourism. He is the founder of the Cannabis Travel Association and the Cannabis Trail, and more recently launched Cultivar Brands, which is a strategic marketing agency at the intersection of travel and cannabis. Please welcome Mr. Brian Applegarth. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Good morning from the West Coast. I know. Good afternoon for these. <laughs> and from our new Frontier Data team, we have the leader of our research team. Please welcome back our chief knowledge officer, Mr. John Kagia. Yeah, thanks for having us back, Heather. And good evening from Africa. Yes, good evening. We're all over the place. Um, well, Brian, um, you were at the crossroads of two really fun and exciting industries. What led you into the cannabis industry and how did you get to where you are now? Uh, the big aha moment came, I moved back to California in 2013 after being having lived outside of the state for about 10 to 15 years. And for the first time, I walked into a cannabis retail shop, a dispensary, and I didn't know they existed in California because I, I kind of started traveling and left in around 1998. So it was an aha moment because it was pretty obvious that this was more mature than I realized and that it was coming, that the that cannabis was here. It was moving toward legalization, um, adult use legalization in California. And, and what did that mean? And at that time, I was kind of reassessing like where I wanted my career to go. Um, I was at that time working for a corporation doing digital marketing and sales in the new home building industry. Um, and I was kind of assessing, what do you love? And it was music, travel. Um, and I know real estate, I don't necessarily love it, but I know it well. Um, and I had used cannabis. I was familiar with it. I wasn't deeply like knowledgeable. I never grown it, but I had smoked it and used it since like, you know, seventh, eighth grade periodically. And then more in, in college when I traveled. Um, so my love of travel brought me into it, seeing this opportunity intersect with cannabis and that it was going to move that direction. And that's what set me on the path. And then I enrolled in Oaksterdam and started just digesting content um, and really had an amazing journey um, until I founded the Cannabis Travel Association in uh, 2017. And that's when it became kind of like my first step into a cannabis travel plan that really is still here today. We're in our fifth year as an organization, um, but did a handful of projects. But what brought me into it was opportunity and quality of life. I really wanted to wake up every morning and do something I loved. And I love travel and culture. And I fell in love with cannabis. I mean, it was, it brought me into it because of opportunity and I'm familiar with it and I think it's a good thing. Um, and then it took me down this path of the story of cannabis and human rights and how it's embedded in the culture of California and the history of our state um, and how it is kind of a human rights movement with all these different layers. I was lucky enough to meet a lot of the pioneers and hear a lot of those stories, which is really a core component of travel as well, is weaving that culture and storytelling in. Um, so, yeah, so that's how I came into it. Amazing. Well, I did a little professional stalking and I saw that you speak like Italian, Japanese, is that right? Is this from your love of travel? <laughs> yeah, maybe not as proficient in this moment, but yeah, I did live in Japan for, I probably spent about a year and a half to two years of my life in Japan. 
Um, and same with Italy, actually. So I call it survival, survival level, but I can, I can kind of fake it and make it and move around pretty easily in both countries. Yeah. Well, it's amazing. It's probably amazing just to see cannabis. It's not just, you know, a California thing too. It's now it's this global industry that's really taking on shape. It is. And I actually look at the intersection as more than cannabis, uh, to be honest with you. Like when I, in, in the education I do with the travel industry, we really talk in terms of three buckets, hemp, and sustainability and regeneration and elevating the standard and, and model of that in the travel industry across the board. Um, how can hemp inputs into hotels um, have less impact? Um, and what kind of traveler does that attract? Because people are becoming more and more aware and that's becoming more and more of a destination driver as to how integrated am I into being a mindful traveler? Um, and then you have the CBD discussion, which is really about wellness. And it's and that really opens up the endocannabinoid system because CBD kind of has that brand equity in the space right now, just this very familiar and less controversial wellness tool. And then you have the cannabis THC rich conversation. So I really try to speak to the three different audiences because we've got to bring the conversation current <laughs> before we can really talk about next steps. So I find myself always doing a lot of educating with data case studies and then kind of casting visions for what the future could be and how inclusive cannabis is from the kind of curious to the person that wants to go on a journey to work through maybe some life events and come out on the other side better. Amazing. John, I know you've been looking forward to this interview. Any burning questions you have? Well, just really interesting that, you know, you, you spent time in Japan and have a connection there because I, I lived in Japan for a year as well. And for all of my travel, so two, two aspects on the travel side. Um, one, I, I lived in Japan for a year and for all of my travel globally, uh, Japan was actually one of the few places in the world where I didn't encounter very much cannabis. It was available, but you had to really go to great lengths to get there. Some really sketchy parts of Japan, which do exist. Um, but broadly speaking, you know, the, uh, my, my, my travels globally have really underscored the idea that this is a global community. It remains very siloed and um, because of that, people don't necessarily have a good sense of how many consumers there are globally, which is part of the reason we're so excited about the global report we're going to be releasing in a couple of, or next week, actually. Um, um, just to, to really contextualize the size of the global uh, community of consumers. Um, and two, even in places that have historically had the most punitive, most restrictive rules, there are cannabis consumers there as well, much smaller numbers, but they do exist. Um, and so part of the, the power of this moment is this transition of um, consumers out of the shadows and into the light and starting to mo mobilize the collective both influence and spending power of what largely has been a either ignored or very poorly understood uh, community of folks. Um, and the, the connection that you tend to see within cannabis consumers when they find each other around the world uh, is quite unlike anything else. You know, maybe soccer might be an analog, you know, when you, when you get soccer fans together under a single roof. Uh, but there's something quite extraordinary about watching cannabis consumers find each other as they, as they roam around the world. But I think is um, it is a ready-made built-in opportunity. And it's simply going to be about kind of this transition and activation that is in the early stages of happening, but is absolutely going to happen as more communities, more markets open up uh, cannabis mm -hmm. and legal regulated access. Yeah. Yep. No, I fully agree. And I believe travel is a platform for that. Right. So you have to have this interconnectivity globally 
And that's why when I see, even when I talk to destinations that are medical or not adult use or cannabis serving destinations, there's absolutely discussions to be had now and education and data and talking and planning. I mean, the more time, the more energy you're investing, the better it's going to be. So, you know, as states unlock and globally it unfolds, uh, it's important to, to be stewards of this and to make sure that the cannabis travel trend exists in a way that reflects the principles of the cannabis plant of balance and homeostasis and inclusion and sustainability. So whenever I kind of try to develop my work, it's always about making cannabis hemp more accessible, whether it's packaging or whether it's a CBD tincture um, and hopefully giving people the knowledge and context to make informed decisions um, about the state of cannabis today, you know? Um, so in travel, there's a lot of people that when they visit, you know, let's just think of the essence of kind of visitation and travel. You're out of your normal patterns, your normal setting, you're in a new space, you're open to new ideas. You want to seek out new experiences. This is why cannabis travel is a platform. And it also accounts for in 2019, it was 10.3% of the global economy, you know, is attributed to the travel economy, the travel industry. So it's a powerful industry from airports to hotels, to attractions, to rental car companies hemp and CBD and cannabis are intersecting with all of those through that travel funnel. And that's opportunities for hotels, for brands, for destinations to differentiate, or even trend set. There's so many first mover advantages now for people that really want to grasp that or early adopter, if you don't want to be the first or the second. Um, and then of course, there's the responsibility of those who have their heads in the sand where they're literally putting their frontline staff at risk or their visitors at risk by not being able to provide quality, accurate information around safety and how to navigate and find a, um, a uh, kind of hospitality approved, above board, safe, great experience on brand for the destination experience. Because we all know that the dispensary retail shop experience varies greatly, right? Depending on when you got licensed, where you could be, what's your experience in retail, how quickly is it evolving? Who's your local market? Are you in a tourist destination? If you are geographically, are you within foot traffic to hotels, right? It's a whole different ecosystem. So, and I'm excited because this next frontier is really unlocking with cannabis lounges in California and other states opening up, um, obviously per the, per the current pandemic. But as this unlocks, there's still this maturity happening with the infrastructure of cannabis strategy and assets. And it's going to be really part of this new offering as people reemerge from their homes and take more trips. So it's a very exciting time for cannabis and travel. Yeah, it sounds like you found this massive missing link in, in cannabis and travel. It's amazing. Um, all right, well, we're going to move on to our headline. Uh, New York Times reported travels back and it's high season. So as we discussed, like so many industries, travel and hospitality really took a big hit during COVID. Um, but with states reopening and markets coming online, there's a lot of opportunities for the curious consumer to explore these legal markets, like you said. Brian, how has the landscape of cannatourism changed over the years? Has, the, has it been normalized yet, do you think, or do you still think we need a lot of movement on that part? It's interesting looking at the trajectory, and it's also part of that history and culture. Um, you know, in the most in recent history, meaning like the late uh, 1900s, I guess, or like the late 90s, mid to late 90s. And even prior to that, there's been refugee medical tourism to Northern California for decades because it was where cannabis was uh, first legalized medically. 
Um, and it was mostly because of the role cannabis was playing on the front lines of the AIDS epidemic, although there were other medical applications, but the appetite stimulant, including reducing the stress and anxiety, all, all the other things it does, but the appetite stimulant is really where it hung its hat is it would kind of quell that or help that. Um, but even beyond that, you know, people were hearing about cannabis and the treatment of, of them being able to access it medically and imagine, you know, those life events when you have a loved one or yourself and there's you tried all of their options. So there's been medical refugee tourism out here for decades. So that's a thing. And if you're in a medical state that still exists, and it's actually a beautiful model because it used to be really created around community and community healing and getting people out of their houses and not suffering alone. And there's a lot of um, learnings we can take from that moment in history of how cannabis can serve on a medical platform in, in like consumption lounges and such in, in medical states or countries. Um, and then as it went further, you saw more and more like business tourism, right? Like people were like, okay, well, California's got genetics and they have this crazy brain trust. They've been all these hippies moved up there back in the early 70s, late 60s. And they've been working with the plant for, for, for decades, making not just growing, but making medicines and elixirs and, and, and tinctures. And so there's all this kind of knowledge that exists. So you started seeing people come out here wanting to visit the institutions, the dispensaries, the lounges, start understanding what the opportunities were going to be. So there's like the B, there's like the, I guess that's the B to B, right? And then B to M is medical. And then now you're seeing more of that leisure, right? Because now it's just accessible, it's consumer. We have these buckets of adult use versus medical. It's crazy interesting because cannabis is like also wellness and it does it all because it's so evolved. So it's really interesting to watch the 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 wrangling of the of the uh, cannabis and hemp plant. Um, but that's where the leisure travelers coming in is today, right? So like what once sometimes I describe it like this: what once was kind of Cheech and Chong up in smoke, cannabis became medical. So it was like Cheech and Chong up in smoke munchies, and then it went medical, literally humans dying and suffering. And cannabis as a medical application, that was a standalone kind of solution that nothing else could provide. And then, and that was for appetite stimulant as well. So it's munchies, appetite stimulant. And then today's version is, you know, what cultivar do you drink or do you puff on before a Michelin star meal to accentuate your palate and stimulate your appetite and, you know, amplify the aroma and taste of food. So it's just, it's, it's that next kind of rung. And so that's kind of been the arc, I think. And I'm hoping that we really look at the value of all of it, you know, because it's important discussions at every level and economically it can impact a destination, whether it's B2B or B2C or medical or otherwise. Well, it's interesting. I feel like that, that trajectory is kind of the social acceptance and people thinking that it's okay. And, you know, people growing, um, John, well, was, wasn't there a study that was saying it was more, it was morally acceptable to, to smoke weed? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's right. It was high, right? It was like in the 90s. So to, to, to your question about counter-tourism or, or about the impact of COVID, one, one of the things that I think is really interesting about what has happened over the past 18 months is essentially, I mean, you see this dramatic pullback in, in global travel. You know, some markets were seeing as much as 90, 95% decline uh, in, their, in their inbound. And so what has happened in that intervening time on the industry side, one, we've seen some of the highest rates of capital flow into the market, which have allowed um, 
companies, entrepreneurs to, to level up in a way that we had not previously seen. Level of investment that's being channeled to building more effective products, better retail experiences, just leveling up um, the way cannabis is grown, manufactured, uh, distributed, sold, uh, and consumed um, has evolved pretty dramatically over the past 18, 24 months. Uh, and then in parallel, you've had the build out of both new markets as new states have legalized, as well as new ways about thinking about the consumer experiences. You know, Brian had mentioned the, the emergence of uh, uh, consumption lounges. And so all of this has been happening while tourism has been really, really low. And one of the things that's going to be really interesting to see, um, and I think this is what's being alluded to in the New York Times article, is the idea that consumers are going to be re-emerging from the pandemic into a cannabis-infused world that looks very, very different from what it looked like when they were um, uh, than it did before the pandemic. And so uh, for the consumers, for the traveling consumers, uh, the difference between kind of walking through what were in some cases really poorly set up, relatively poorly set up dispensaries, fairly limited product uh, options in those dispensaries, to now coming out and finding places like the Papa and Barclay Cannabis Lounge in Northern California, which has a spa, a restaurant, a, a beautiful retail environment. Um, you know, it is going to be mind blowing, and I think it's going to going to very dramatically shift the way people think about what the future of cannabis could look like, because it's going to be such a jagged line drawn between what they left before the pandemic began and what they found when they returned to um, uh, to, to the road, started traveling again, and seeing spaces that many people really couldn't have even imagined a few years ago. Yeah, I just I want to add on to that if you don't mind, like. So, so Cultivar Strategies, uh, my company did a collaborated on a study with MMGY Travel Intelligence, which was a national survey around the cannabis motivated travel audience. And what we found was that it's 18% of all Americans or 29% of the active leisure travel audience, which is like one of the most sought after visitor economies to attract. And what we learned from the cannabis, this was before the pandemic, what it was, it was largely a drive market audience too. And that was before COVID. So like when you look at the trajectory of cannabis and CBD and all that use during COVID to help cope with this craziness that we're all going through um, and pile on that with it was already a drive market audience anyway, um, whether it was dry county, wet county or whether it was taking road trips, um, it's going to be a real interesting audience to be trying to reach during this kind of recovery period, right? Like coming out of COVID back into like normalization, whatever that is to tra travel which who knows what will that look like with, with, and how long that will take, I guess, at this point. Um, so I guess this is a, this with data, this is kind of a framing the opportunity for destinations to really consider this audience, which is a high value travel more often, spend more, stay longer, active in market. Can, they rank as a higher as a foodie than the active leisure traveler. They rank higher as a wine enthusiast. So when you hear wine country people getting threatened, it's like, wow, like, but look at the audience demographic. Like you're speaking to the same kind of, you know, audience. So what does it mean to collaborate, I guess? And I think the key of this, John, too, like for Humboldt, totally agree. Like they have Pop and Barkley. They even have that. Uh, did you? There's Plant Humboldt, which is like a cannabis nursery, which is a really cool experience. Um, they have some really signature things in a way that they're leading on. And then there's other markets that have other signature things where they're kind of standing out. Uh, Palm Springs has an amazing lounge called the 420 Bank, which has pool tables and Frank Sinatra night and music and all kinds of different bars from drinkable to dabs. I mean, it's like the future of a lounge, in my opinion. It's like it's, it's gorgeous and it's open right now. 
Um, but I think that where the rubber is going to meet the road is not only having these assets, but how are you coordinating it and weaving it into as in a normalized way and getting adoption from your travel stakeholders? So the customer journey from arrival to departure feels comfortable and and feels familiar, I guess, and, and normalized in a way. Although I don't like that word, but normalized in a way. Well, speaking of that, what do you think are some of the like unique opportunities or challenges that exist for the like operators currently like catering to these can of tourists? So there's a couple different businesses, right? Like I, so let's say catering to, I mean, so I would put in that way, I feel like hotels are just coming on board in a real way, kind of. There's been a little like dipping the toe in, but now you're having like cannabis forward I uh, like what the Clarendon's doing. Like I would call that Clar- cannabis forward. For those of you who don't know, the Clarendon in Arizona has dedicated a certain part of their rooms to, you know, cannabis travelers where they can vape and they can, you know, be together and all this stuff. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like um, from the business vantage point, the ones that are catering to cannabis tourists, the biggest hurdles they're having is probably just reaching them, probably marketing. Like the ones that I know that's those marketing game, their Instagram shut down, not having traditional marketing avenues. Um, I think it's hard to compete with that. So everyone's trying to continue building and do organic, but um, I think being able to really capitalize also, I think keeping up on the different emerging businesses in a compelling way, being able to pick winners to know who's going to succeed. I also think there needs to be a little bit more collaborative minded things now versus kind of go alone. So I think the biggest difficult is marketing, reaching, attracting Um, for hotels right now. Like they're not even there yet. Like they're just, they would tell you it's smoking, right? Like it's smoking's the biggest issue. Although in the hotel world, I'll tell you the risk of not having a plan is also more ambulance trips or your frontline staff recommending unlicensed delivery services or non-compliant operators to your visitor like there's some serious risks that are kind of exponential and unknown at this point if you're an adult use market if you're not creating this into your training um on the on the on the travel and hotel side um but on the cannabis side i'd say it's marketing and just being able to reach and build your audience and have a consistent voice and it's crippling for a lot of businesses actually and a lot of them were hit really hard by covid especially like the tour operators and um you know, some of them, these mom and pops really got hit hard because it just collapsed. So. Yeah, and, and I think building on that, you know, one of the interesting things about where cannabis, particularly the cannabis tourism element here is in many of these markets is it's still really young, it's still a really, really new ecosystem. And so generally in most markets, um, the community and then the industry have moved much faster than the policymakers and the regulators. And so part of the challenge has been, for example, even in, in, in destinations where cannabis makes a lot of sense and this huge opportunity, there's generally been reluctance amongst the policymaker side to create um, the sort of kind of promotional strategies, uh, integrated promotional strategies for cannabis as they would for anything else in the economy. You know, you're not yet seeing the same level of, of uh, forward promotion of, say, you know, casinos in Las Vegas or wine country in California um, uh, in those respective markets, even though cannabis is doing really well there. Um, with state governments, local governments, municipalities pushing cannabis as uh, a new alternative tourism experience, tourism opportunity. That that dam is slowly starting to break. Um, but for, for the... Um, it means that for the Canada tourist and the Canada curious, you have to do a lot more legwork on your own 
um, because you don't have this kind of government-wide apparatus also helping advance the, the messaging for the industry. So um, I think that's been one challenge. And then two, you know, I think the, the um, issue of smoking is one which will remain attention likely for a little while. Um, the the um, Generally, the heaviest consumers are combustion-based consumers. And that tends to be the one thing which hotels tend to be most concerned about. Um, there's a pungency with, with, with cannabis. It doesn't, the smoke doesn't linger in fabric and, and fibers the way tobacco does. Uh, but, you know, you can generally always tell when somebody down the hall is smoking um, uh, cannabis in a hotel room. And so there's a tension there with, with, uh, with, within the hospitality sector of how do you kind of manage this opportunity that is clearly fast-growing, consumers are very interested in. The non-combustion-based, the explosion in the growth of the non-combustion-based market, I think, is a huge additional kind of uh, opportunity. Once these um, edibles and other infused ingestibles that have the same sort of efficacy and, and profile that can rival smoking start to make the issue of smoking less of a consideration. But this is also part of the evolution of the consumer. Um, you know, one of the things I loved about the study that, that Brian and his team had done with MMGY was the finding around how interested people are in edibles as a delivery mechanism over smoking. Um, you know, the, the, and so there are ways that you can integrate this without having to have your rooms, you know, a, you know dedicated hallway, uh, halls or floors in, in your hotel um, to smoking if you're giving uh, consumers or at least guiding them through what the alternatives are. But by leaving it to be a complete free-for-all, I think you're much less, much more likely to see um, undesirable uh, outcomes. Um, and so there's going to be a lot more need for community participation, a much better understanding of how the product landscape creates new ways for consumers to experience cannabis. And I think a little more government support in acknowledging that this is an engine for growth and you know, it serves the industry well, it serves government well to help provide some supporting structure around how to do this. Yeah. And just to kind of expand on that data point that you mentioned, John, because that was a very important discovery of this national survey, um, was when you looked at methods of ingestion and preference of this cannabis motivated travel audience, vaporization and smoking joints and flour was actually the bottom at the bottom four. Um, we had CBD as well as THC rich kind of uh, delineation as well. But it was it was edible, drinkable and topical were the top three for this visitor audience, which kind of again, expresses to the hotels and the travel industry that this is an opportunity, you know, smoking and inhalation doesn't necessarily have to be part of your strategy. Exactly. And maybe they can go to the front desk at the hotel and not ask their cab driver <laughs> on their way to the hotel. <laughs> um, well, that's awesome. So real quick, so we just talked a little bit more of the challenges in the U.S., but looking outside of the U.S., uh, Jamaica, there are already a couple of cannabis-friendly resorts that, and there are plans for many more. Um, what role do you think these destinations are playing in shaping kind of the global appetite for canatourism? So one of the ways we think about how canatourism or these canatourism destinations are, are just shaping the, the emergence of this industry. Um, the profound ambassadorial role that going to a destination that has a well-effected cannabis strategy, you know, in term, to Byron's point about there being a complete kind of life cycle that meets you at the airport and takes you back to the airport. And throughout that, uh, as a kind of curious to, uh, uh, tourist, you're not feeling like you're you're doing, you're deviating from what should be a conventional tourist experience. 
And so as you start seeing well-established, well-managed facilities, particularly you know, in places like the Caribbean, in Jamaica uh, specifically, where there's already such a rich cultural history to draw on, um, as you start seeing the formalization of these, I think it means for uh, the, the both the well-established consumer as well as the can of tourist or the can of curious, um, being able to experience this firsthand, I think one, um, really changes the perspective on what legal cannabis can be, what kind of opportunity this might present. Um, two, it makes them much more likely to feel like, you know, why do they have it and we don't have it in our, in our own places? And so there's absolutely a responsibility in these destinations to get it right, because that experience is going to be really instrumental in, in influencing how people think about what regulated cannabis might look like in their own communities. Um, and then three, um, Experientially, you know, one of the things that I find is, is an important distinction between alcohol and cannabis is that generally alcohol is a singular type of experience. If you're in wine country, you're you're drinking wine and you know the, the alcohol buzz, regardless of which vineyards you're going to, it's going to be relatively consistent. With cannabis, because of the variation in the genetics and the cultivars and the, the types of physiological effects you can experience with cannabis. There's a much broader range of types of experiences that you can have be cannabis infused. So as Brian said, you can have the cannabis that you consume before you go to a three-star Michelin restaurant. There's a very different type of cannabis that you would consume before you go hiking across um, um, some you know, beautiful mountain terrain or go finding swimming holes in uh, the jungles of Jamaica or before you go tour um, a farm or, or watch a music show. And so the idea of tailoring products to experiences, I think, is the one aspect that a lot of consumers don't understand well, particularly consumers in unregulated markets who don't have that product selection. And once we start waking up to the idea that, yes, you can have your cannabis for your music festival versus your cannabis for dinner versus your cannabis for uh, a, a night walk along the beach, um, that's really going to open up consumers to, to the possibilities. Um, and that's what sets the snowball rolling down the hill. Oh yeah, dude. Yes. <laughs> fully agree. No, it's true. It's like, so there's, you know, there's the, there's obviously a safety risk mitigation destination preparedness conversation, but this is where it gets interesting to John's point. And it's really the responsibility of travel as a platform, whether it's a destination strategy to know what part of the audience you're reaching and how to curate the market for that, whether it's somebody in kind of <clears throat> final stages <clears throat> And they're coming uh, to transition really or get some care or whether it's a leisure tourist moving about a market, seeking out the, the THC rich kind of trajectory. Right. So that's that third bucket. That's that and there's THC involved and there's some kind of altered state. What does that look like? And then it's like that gets that's where you talk about microdosing and flow state and elevated versus kind of high or journeying. And these are, that's the arc of being able to educate a consumer when they come into market as to kind of what flow state is and using that as a central point to, to, to allow to depart knowledge where a consumer has a more mindful and intentional um, uh, 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 mindset, I guess, for the set and setting they're walking into, right? So Cultivar Strategies does this, Sean, with our clients. We actually have a method called the effect pairing method of cannabis. And when we curate an, uh, a destination with this cannabis travel effect pairing guide, it's all about targeted sensory enhancement. And we have we have infographics. One of those shows that flow state and then talk, teaches about the microdosing versus, uh, I think we call it Zen, 
or, or uh, the, the first one, and then it goes up from there and really teaching about what is the optimal dose of cannabis for, you know, and what does that mean, right? So when we talk about that, we say, okay, well, well let's imagine you're at a great party, great company, great ambiance, great environment. And you had one or two drinks, you laughed a lot, you had a great night, you woke up without a hangover. So you kind of nailed it. You had a great experience, right, for the set and setting. So flow state is similar, but cannabis effects are very different. So if like food pairs with wine or alcohol, cannabis pairs with activities and experiences, right? So, um, so being able to curate the market with that kind of context and really differentiate, and it's also supplemental, right? So this is why effect pairings so exciting in travel because you're really spreading that visitor spend, not only putting guardrails on the experience and empowering the consumer and the visitor with education, but you're also helping create a more mindful kind of pairing and being able to teach about flow state and set and setting and how to engage and walk into an environment, knowing what you took in a very purposeful way to complement this environment at the right amount um, and trying to build out that toolkit for consumers to understand how Cannabis doesn't always just make you hungry or make you laugh, but it also makes you problem solve or be creative, um, right? And we see some of the flower brands doing this where it's like cruise, create, right? Like there's some different strategies of kind of what is your need state or what kind of effect are you going for in a very kind of regimen toolkit way. What Cultivar does is we put that through kind of an itinerary curation lens and we really build, you know, lexicon and nomenclature around that to handhold the consumer, but also the businesses. Like that preparedness, when we work with a market, we go into dispensaries that we end up like kind of strategically partnering with and we do hospitality training and we teach them about the destination brand and what are the pillars. And we try to glue together that connective tissue to allow for that kind of curation with this effect pairing experience. And you'd be surprised, there's restaurants and hotels and art galleries are like, we are on board. This is gonna be fun. So that's exciting. It's exciting to be at that space where the travel industry stakeholders of destinations are finally able to confidently raise their hand. Whereas five years ago, it's like, has anyone here used cannabis in the last two years? And everyone's sitting there looking, going, we all have, but no one's going to admit it. So it's nice to be where we are today. Yeah, I feel like I've, it doesn't seem that long ago that I went to my first like infused dinner in DC. And I feel like that's going to be something that's, you know, like we said, restaurants signing on. Um, well, Brian, what, looking ahead, what are your like predictions or expectations for tourism in the, in the years ahead? I think that at this point, and I kind of, yeah, at this point, I feel like there's so much attention on the adult use side. Um, although I do have some more medical things crossing my desk, which is nice. Um, but I think that, you know, I think, I think as, I think the cannabis serving destinations that are progressive, like Visit West Hollywood, Greater Palm Springs, Mendocino, San Francisco, uh, Modesto, will all kind of lead the way. Um, and they'll be the models that people are able to follow from a destination perspective of like a holistic plan and how that really lives and integrates throughout the travel ecosystem. Um, I think that we're going to see kind of specific strategies unfold where you're not trying to cater to every audience. You're either catering to the cannabis connoisseur, the people that smoke, and there may even be a distinction from there from the people that love concentrates versus the people that smoke, you know, joints that aren't infused with concentrates that are just flour. Um, and then I think you'll have the can of curious people for their first time. What's well, one of the data points that we discovered in the study um, is uh, 
of the cannabis motivated travel audience, meaning they seek out and make their plans of destinations where to go based on the ability to access a cannabis experience while on vacation. Um, 30% of them have never tried cannabis or CBD, but they keep hearing about all the therapeutic benefits and quality of life improvement. So is that your audience or is it the cannabis connoisseur audience or is it this wellness minded traveler that's not necessarily a, like a boomer trying to replace pills or, or that, but it's someone that just wants to meditate and do yoga and, and, and groom and, and, and tend to their spiritual and mental health. Um, I think we're going to see, we're going to watch as, as travel strategies elevate and destinations. I think you're going to see it start being refined into one of these different kind of categories um, and really speaking to certain sub-segments of the cannabis travel audience. That's so interesting. John, what do you think? What are, what are your expectations? Yeah, I think we are still at, let's call it the 101 stage of, of where all of this is going. But I think this is going to actually end up being a really consequential part of the maturation and evolution of cannabis as we know it. Um, you know, I think tourism plays such an important role in education, in, um, in acculturation and in normalization. Um, that that the first step is just giving access. You know, it doesn't matter what product you have access to, you can go and buy a joint somewhere and that just is very exciting. But as this continues to evolve to Brian's point, you know, the, the dual and parallel evolution of uh, product effect and experience built around um, uh, how those, how those uh, effects are best harnessed, um, I think is going to be kicked up to, to, to the next level. And there's some natural places where that's going to start around food, um, I think around art, um, but in, and and around uh, let's call it holistic wellness. So the yoga, you know, kind of um, um, uh, sort of spa type settings. But I think we are going to start seeing a lot of innovation that starts to push the bounds as we have known them, and uh, that is the wild card. Is is how far is this? Uh, are the innovators in this space going to stretch to try and figure out novel ways in which to to um, give cannabis consumers truly unprecedented experiences in legal, safe, well-managed settings. Um, and you know, the the if I was in the alcohol industry, this is the one thing I'd be watching very, very closely, um, because I think there's going to be a lot about some of the experiences and effects that some of the paired experiences uh, uh, that we're going to be seeing emerge over the next few years. Um, that will, will really be a, a strong way by which the cannabis industry plants a flag uh, in Main Street uh, and raises its profile in a global context. I, I think this is going to be one of the uh, most interesting aspects of development uh, in this industry, and, and we're going to be watching it very, very closely. Can I add one more thing? I'm sorry. I totally agree. The one other, the back end of that, I think that also needs to continually get attention is the preservation of all the historical storytelling and cultural uh, nuance of this of the of, that really serves as the foundation of this industry. So, any destination that is developing a plan or a cannabis operator that really wants to speak to the tourist and visitor economy, like weave in the culture, the storytelling, the history, because that is travel. Travel is understanding authenticity and sense of place. Um, so that cultural infrastructure is really important to complement the innovation. Amazing, thank you so much. Well, we are almost out of time, but before we head out, we want to give our guests the opportunity to give a shout out to someone in the industry that you admire, have worked with, or just wanna give some um, admiration towards. 
Totally. I want to give a shout out to the Cannabis Travel Association uh, Executive Director, Yvonne Brown. She came on a couple of years ago and has been an amazing ally in helping to advance and kind of grow all the work groups. And, um, and as this trend has widened, there's been a lot more interest and activity. And she just really stepped in and assumed the role and has done an amazing job. And for those of you who are interested, the Cannabis Travel Association, uh, you can find at CannabisTravelAssociation.org. Uh, we're an international organization that's based in advocacy, education, and networking. Um, and we really just try to advance the cannabis travel trend and provide education, networking, and, and we do advocacy as well. We have toolkits. Um, and we're currently drafting a spot bill that we're pulling together about a catering license. So we're trying to develop a cannabis catering license that would live under the event category, event licensing category, to create a pathway for hospitality and hotels to really engage with this industry. So that's something that's an example of what we do at the association is create paradigms, models and toolkits that can flex between markets and assist in the evolution from prohibition, gray market to, you know, above board. That's so awesome. So interesting. And we will all be watching closely to see what happens. Thank you guys so much for joining us, Brian. Really appreciate you taking the time to sit with us. And thank you to our listeners for joining us at Canada Week. Again, please be sure to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell. If you really like us, leave us a five-star review. I'm your host, Heather McLean, and I will see you next time. New Frontier Data provides this podcast for entertainment purposes only. Nothing stated in this podcast should be taken as legal or financial advice. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by the company. The views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Views and opinions expressed by New Frontier Data employees are those of the employees and do not necessarily reflect the view of the company or any of its officials. If you have any questions about this disclaimer, please contact our legal department.